Hi there, this is Alvin and welcome to the Kickstart Commerce Podcast, where we share search marketing and domain investing strategies to help grow your business. In today's episode, our guest is Nikul Sangvi, a highly esteemed professional domain investor of CCTLDs and the founder and principal of Hypernames.co, a digital asset boutique connecting startups and subject matter experts with high impact, memorable domains. Today, Nikul and I discuss insightful perspectives and lessons learned from his CCTLD investing experience experiences thus far. We also dive deep into a detailed analysis of his best year in domaining yet, detailing purchases, renewals, registrations, commissions, and fees, and more. We also chat about the pros and cons of CCTLD investing and everything in between. And last but not least, Nicole and I talk CCTLD predictions and what's next on the horizon. So with that, Nicole, welcome back and thank you for making time to join us today. Hey Alvin, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you, man. And so to uh, to kick things off, Nico, let's uh, let's talk a bit because it's well, it's been a few months since we last taped the interview with you and Morgan Linton on the state of uh, CCTLD investing. So, I mean, man, what have what have you been up to since then? Just uh, kind of being most of the time a teacher homeschooling the kids, and uh, that's become my. <laughs> full-time job um but no i've i've, I've mainly been uh, i think in in the sense of domains tidying up my portfolio i think i've been focusing a lot on renewals and what to keep what to drop so it's been i think a few months of admin getting kind of things tightened up and ready for the year ahead nice nice and so no returning to consulting world then possibly <laughs> No, uh, so I, I am also pitching. I've been pitching for a bunch of different projects, but it's quite tricky in the sense that um, I think businesses are starting to open up a bit more. But towards the end of last year, I think businesses weren't really kind of like looking to take much on in terms of new projects. So fingers crossed, I'm hopeful over the next couple of months, you know, uh, someone likes one of my crazy ideas and um, <laughs> I get back into it. But yeah. And then, and and also probably what I guess is driving a bit of whether or not you're getting back into consulting is the the lockdown. So COVID. So there has yeah. been a a lift, and then there's been a resurgence, and it's like okay, back to lockdown we go. So that I bet that I bet you that has played also into you know just the the ability to enter back into consulting or not. I would imagine. Yeah, I, I I've also found that. Um... Yeah, it is a little bit of out of sight, out of mind when you're actually in an office and you're bumping into people, you're having random kind of collisions around um, a water cooler or in the coffee area. You can get a lot more conversations going, which are just kind of unplanned, unscheduled and a lot more interactions in the sense of being able to build repertoire with people and being able to pitch things a little bit more subtly. And then when you're at a little bit of a distance and everything's going back into email and onto Zoom calls, <laughs> it feels a lot more formal. It's almost like, um, you know, I can't Jedi mind trick people over the internet. <laughs> uh, it's got to be uh, face-to-face. But it's something I think companies are starting to like have people back into the offices, especially after when the lockdown ends. Um, I imagine people will start to get back in. But I think a lot of people won't be going back to the office as well. So it's something where I've also got to get better at kind of, you know, pitching through email or on a call and being able to communicate ideas better in that way as well. That's awesome. So, I mean, do you, do you think that you'll go back or will domaining be it? Uh, no, so I, I, I'm, I'm hoping I will go back. I think domaining 
you know, I, I mentioned in my post that domaining is really difficult. It's a, it's a really difficult thing to kind of uh, earn a living off for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think if I have the choice, I would love to have another source of income and then actually be able to kind of not touch the domaining business, allow it to kind of grow. So what I'm what I'm uh, hoping for is that yeah maybe even if it's not a huge amount of money through kind of consulting even if it isn't as much as before if I can create one or two other kind of sources of revenue I think it will definitely help the investment side of the business I mean in the most simplest way it's like um, if you looked at it from a farming perspective and you eat all your seeds there's nothing left to replant. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Indeed. Uh, I just kind of feel like, um, as much as possible, if you can kind of leave those dollars in the business, they get replanted, and you you don't necessarily reap the rewards immediately. But the money that I'm kind of the sales that are going on right now, those were kind of trees that were planted two, three, four years ago. And so, you know, kind of jumping into your your report. So you've done this report now. What this makes, I guess, the fourth year. Think so, yeah. I think um, I did a bit of summary last year, so I I jumped across 2017, 18, 19, just to kind of like pull everything together, tighten it up a bit. Because yeah, I've been writing on this thread for maybe four years. I think since 2017. Yeah. Yeah, yep, that is um, correct. And the first one kind of just started off as um, had a lot of people getting really excited by some of the sales I was posting in the reported sales thread and on uh, this is on name pros and I had this real level of guilt in that I was putting forward kind of the sales and I was saying look these are the sales I've made and lots Mm -hmm. of people are getting excited but I, I had this in the back of my head that like it's like on Instagram you only see the the best bits of everyone's life and I had to say to everyone, hey, look, yeah, these, these these sales happen, but there's a whole lot of life that happens beyond them. And even before this year or before that 2017 year, I had a lot of years where, you know, I either didn't make money or I made losses. And I thought that was a really important message to open with back then when I created the my kind of user account on the forum. And then since then, I've just tried to kind of share and push with the kind of same ethos that transparency and openness will help more people become better domainers than just sharing sales data on its own. So transparency and openness in the sense of all aspects of running a portfolio. Nice. Now, I guess now for for those new listeners who, who don't necessarily know you now, how long have you been investing in domains? Uh, so it's probably since uh, 2009. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, when very early on, I'd say from 2009 to maybe 2015, 16, I wouldn't really call myself an investor. I'd, I'd call myself someone that at that point in time, I was dipping my toe in and out. I was buying domains I didn't really understand, you know, very well in, in the sense of like what I was buying. Um <laughs> You and said I, think, I was straight up a, a speculator. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, to be honest, I wouldn't even call myself a speculator. It was, it, 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 I, I, I wouldn't even qualify for that. I think I was on the starting point, and this is a journey that everybody goes through. Where you know, your first few years, you think you've hit a gold mine just by registering whatever's kind of available. Right. You don't understand how to value things, you know. So I, I made a lot of mistakes very early on. And then over time, you start to read, you start to listen to things, you start to kind of learn from your own mistakes. And I I think I'd only really kind of started to take things seriously from 2015 onwards. So 
probably I'd be happy to call myself an investor for at least the last five years or so. Now, in terms of this report, so for those of you that are looking at the report, uh, as Nico alluded to, it is entitled Almost a Decade of Domaining. Uh, and so it's on name pros. And actually, when you posted uh, your 2020 results on Twitter, and at the time of this recording, it's January 25th on a Monday. And so I went and looked at it today. And I almost flipped out, man, because <laughs> when I got to the page, I looked and I was like, wait, eight pages of comments and not realizing though, that this is a thread that's been over the course of years, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, man, I'm like, what the world Nicola has like started a revolution. <laughs> if he posted this morning and there are eight pages of comments, No, uh, yeah. but, but I, I quickly caught the error in my ways. And so, uh, but I do appreciate you coming back to this post, obviously, and not starting a new one, but kind of continuing this journey, this story. And so one of the things um, that caught me, you know, like right off the guard, like you give a summary here of basically what your last four years of trading looks like, which is phenomenal. And 2017, though, I mean, that's like every domainer's dream to sell, what is it, like 14 names and a total revenue of hundred, almost $129,000. Like, that is phenomenal. Then your next year, you basically go from 14 sales to 32 sales, but not as much revenue. So like from that 2017 or 2018, kind of what happened? It, was there a change in strategy or what What? Kind of walk us through, I guess the 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 high level play by play, or what you know the the high level synopsis of kind of how did we go from fourteen sales, one hundred twenty nine thousand to thirty two sales, more sales but less revenue. Yeah, sure. Um, Two thousand sixteen, so the, the the year before that kind of graph starts, I had zero sales. So I I, I stripped out that year because that graph would just look crazy with the with the this this year I made no money but um I I, I made um so I I'd, I'd bought a domain I bought it in 2012 wow and I bought this to start a business I I, I bought a domain uh, datascience.com to start a business that domain was kind of uh the first I I'd had a bunch of sales I think by that point and that was the first domain that I sold in 2015 for a six figure amount and I I achieved that by uh, I can say now a lot of luck because <laughs> um I had plans for that domain and I just kept saying no 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 and by the point I'd said no so many times and then I actually clocked what the offer was I realized that actually this was a significant sum of money and probably it, even if I'd done the business that I had planned for the domain, it would have taken me a lot longer to reach that number. Right. So I sold that in 2015 and really started investing some of that money. And again, in 2016, I was investing a lot of that money and I was investing around that time, not just in .co, I was looking at a lot of .coms, but also .org. So I think when you when I went kind of from zero to 128, one, almost 129 in 2017, it was also because of the uh, level of risk I was taking, but the quality of the inventory I was buying. Mm. Um, I, uh, in that kind of 2016 period, I was buying, I think, better quality domains than I am now. One, because I was much more willing to take the risk. I was just, you know, um, the capital arrived out of nowhere. So I wasn't so afraid to spend it. 
And, and you then, had other you had other uh, yeah sources of revenue. To, yeah, too, I right? did. Yeah, so I was full time in work, or I was kind of like working the whole week as well. So I think that 2017, I'd say it's a very different year to the others because of the types of domains that I was selling. You know, many of them were in, sold in the kind of like five figure range, mm. um, and a lot of them were bought for uh, higher amounts. And if you, if you kind of see the 2020 trading, right. um, the most expensive domain I sold was like $279 for as an acquisition, and the rest range from like two to $120. And at that time in 2016, my strategy was very different. So I was focusing on fewer names, but much higher in value. And then I think there was a shift there for me around that kind of 2017 mark where, you know, there was changes for me and my family. Uh, I was spending much more time at home. So my twin boys were born in 2017. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have a few years, one year at home or a few years where I'm not going to be working as much. So I, I almost tried to pivot my strategy towards how can I invest less, but make a higher margin. So I think in that 2017 period, my investment was a lot higher and my uh, margin was less. So although there's that 128, 129 there, um, the investments that went in within um, 2016, 2015, they were a lot higher. Whereas I think to generate that kind of 85 in 2018, I used significantly less money. So I almost from 2018, 2019, I became a lot more risk averse. I, I was kind of like, okay, well, what strategies are out there for me to spend less, but bring the margins up? And that that's what really kind of pulled me into the kind of CCTLDs and .co, um, the coupon deals that were around at that time. I think one of the first kind of strategy pieces I wrote in 2018 was around um, turning like maybe nine or ten thousand dollars into 80 70 or 80 that was more like brute force and a volume game um, <laughs> so i i really went from few high quality domains towards a different strategy where i was looking at volume interesting and so now all of these sales then across the pro so from 2017 to 2020 have been predominantly co sales that's right yes uh so even this year i don't think there was anything in com i think everything was um, so out of the 8376 were .co's, two IOs, a CC, GG, a .so, and then a .uk and a .co.uk. So everything, <laughs> everything, uh, <laughs> the kitchen sink except for .com. Um, which is which is phenomenal because obviously you we always hear the argument in the industry and it will probably always be .com, 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 .com. When you start investing, start investing in .com. Great. In your case, though, it's actually worked out to be the opposite, um, that you found a, a, a market here in the .co market, and it's it served you well, and it's not just a fluke. You've done it for multiple years, almost closing in on half a decade, if not the full decade. But at least by these numbers, we know it's four years going, basically seeing that you uh, do the same in 2021, it'll be a half a decade, which isn't bad. I mean, that isn't a fluke. That's, uh, I mean, you got a trend going here. Yeah, I think at least um, the last three years uh, has been predominantly .co sales. Um, I think part of it has just been um, changes in terms of what companies decided to use. So I, I, always, I always think, you know, it could have not gone this way. Say, for example, .co and .io hadn't been popular with startups and it had been... Right. 
two other random extensions, I probably wouldn't have been as fortunate. But I think what we saw very early on from kind of 2010, 2011, 2012 onwards is startups and entrepreneurs shifting towards alternatives and um, not just sticking with .com domains. So yeah, I think I just got lucky in riding, catching and riding on that trend where there was a space, there was a market whereby people want really strong SLDs, but don't necessarily have the budget to match the TLD for it to Mm. be .com. And also I think when you are a small business, when you only have a certain level of funding, six figure or even five figure domains are completely off the table because within the first six months of a business, your likelihood of changing your mind or pivoting the business in a different direction or you know especially within the first three months of just planning and trying to get a startup off the ground there's about a thousand decisions going on and a lot of different places to allocate capital so locking in a huge amount of money into a domain is probably only for startup founders who've already had previous successes and they can you know afford that asset or they actually see that asset as an investment you know and sometimes those founders see those assets outside of the company they just have those domains as investments anyway so i think kind of, kind of like the brent oxley's of the world yeah that's right and I, I think what a lot of founders have worked out is even if you own you know 10 great domains and you decide to start a business on one um you can actually personally rent the domain into the business um, right and uh, I think that's done quite often where until the business gets to a certain size, it doesn't really buy it off the founder. It just leases it. Well, one thing that sticks out to me here in in these numbers across the four years, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, is um, and it's almost I'll pose it as a question, but it's a hypothesis based on and I'm not this is just strictly looking at the chart itself, not having gone through the data myself, but from the numbers that I'm seeing here, the 129,000 in 2017, the 85,000 2018, almost 108,000 in 2019, and then your top of the top, 141,000 in 2020. Now, something that I go, I draw back to your original comment where you had alluded to having additional sources of income. And so one of the things that I kind of can see here in the number of the number of sales going from 14, 32, 48, and then 83, respectively, across 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. One of the things that I pose as a hypothesis, it makes it appear that if I didn't know any better, you're likely in 2017, 2018, you were probably negotiating more of the deals than you were in 2019 and 2020 it seems like 2019 2020 were probably more buy it now domains versus you actually negotiating or if you did negotiate it wasn't long and drawn out it was probably maybe one two exchanges and then you just kind of pull the trigger and go is that a is that a correct uh hypothesis or assumption that i've made here yes i I definitely think as those three years so from 2018 19 20 one thing has definitely been happening, which is that my average sale price has been going down. Mm. So each year I've been moving more volume, but then the kind of final sale price or the average sale price has been dropping each year. And there's probably a couple of things that go into that makeup. One is um, probably my own psychology of like, 
you know, looking for cash flow or hunting for that cash flow, doing a lot of deals as um, make offer deals where actually I worked out in the post that I was discounting on make offer by about 40%. I think a lot of the time in, especially in 2020 was if I could make the sale, I would make it. And I think having make offer was quite confusing because you can see that the transaction, I guess it could, the transaction could have happened or it could not have happened in the sense that when you have buy it now, you know that, okay, someone's either happy with the price or they're not. And you only find out that they are happy. You never interact with someone that doesn't like the price. So with make offer, you alleviate some sense of that FOMO where you're like, okay, I'll put a buy it now on there, but I'll also put make an offer. So if someone, you know, maybe doesn't want to spend 3000, maybe they'll offer 2000. So all the time I was trying to pull around that mark around when the offers came in, I was trying to get people up to around 50 to 80% of the final price. But I think in 2020, I was quite eager to close those sales. So actually I was just closing them as fast as possible. The other thing I think that happened is in 2020, I was able to get a lot of my uh, domains onto the fast transfer network. A lot of the fast transfer buy it now sales that happened were on the lower end. So those were also kind of bringing down the average, but then they were increasing the total sales. And are and are those like sub one thousands or yeah, in terms I, of pricing? Uh, I had a lot. I didn't actually work out how many were sub thousand, but uh, yeah, I had a lot in the kind of like seven four nine, seven fifty, maybe yeah, a, a lot under a thousand, and maybe most of the buys I'd say were between kind of 500 and one and a half thousand I did have few coming through at two and a half thousand three thousand but then I think most of the ones that were also negotiated even where they I was getting an offer the domain might only be 750 but I was getting an offer of like 300 400 500 I was just taking it and that's that's where I think I I talk about it a little bit in the post where Yes, it helped me with the cash flow and it helped me with the sell through rate. And I, I'm I'm still I'm quite a slow thinker, so I'm digesting the data myself today <laughs> and trying to mull it over. I'm listening to a lot of the feedback I'm getting. And I'm just also wondering about, you know, sometimes it's very easy to look at sell through rate. It's very easy to focus right. on, you know, sales do give you motivation. You need to kind of keep seeing them to tick along. But what you don't consider in the moment is what's the effect on your overall yield throughout the year. Right. So I could have potentially done less sales and still made more money. Right. Um, in hindsight, you know, I can't do anything now. But I think there was a certain level of eagerness as well that if you don't have any other sources of income, uh, you do want those sales to keep happening. And you do. there's a reassurance that comes with that constant cash flow. So in a way, it helps um, to have make offer because I think you have a larger number of contact points with potential buyers. Right. But potentially in terms of overall yield, I'm going to be learning this year whether a buy it now strategy is more effective or not. Right. And and I think like you said, you you hit the 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 point of what it means to have additional sources of revenue. It plays on the psyche. Uh one cannot deny it that when you know that you have it, it's like going into a month and let's say the first week of the month you have two sales that were $7,000 each, well anything probably after that you're in a different, you know, different mindset versus three weeks have passed in a month 
and you're like, okay, next week is the end of the month. I've not sold anything. And just to sell something in that month, you'll move on something that you may have otherwise would not have moved on had the sales happen earlier. But I, but I think it works. Like I said, it works both ways. It's a month to month game. And I think the, the other side, you know, while we applaud and cheer and everybody kind of, you know, gets that, that glitter or glimmer in their eye of, oh my gosh, an eagle sold $141,000 worth of domains. Ah, so it is possible. The flip side of that is, yeah, but let's talk about the, the expenses. Cause it's not like it was $141,000 that went straight to your pocket. It did, but it also, you know, there's some things that, that we're pulling from that. Yeah. And I think I've mentioned before, but those kind of things outside of sales are actually really important to talk about. And I think that's a huge part of why these posts are important to me. So um, that from that 141, there's a couple of things I've got on the post where 21 comes off in commissions and fees. So that's, that's again, an immediately big chunk. And most 20- of that's like platform, right? So if, if a platform yeah. like Dan charges 5%, Um, or 9% or whatever the percentage is, or if like it's after Nick and they charge 20%. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Got it. So, so that 21,000 is, I think predominantly Dan, Dan transaction fees. So that 9% and after Nick fees at 20. And then I also had around 29,000 in renewals and further registrations. And that's a big chunk of money as well. So even if you divide that up across the year, you're looking at kind of like just over 2000 each month you know closer to two and a half thousand dollars each month so that's your baseline to sell so you know if if you're not kind of like bringing that in you've got that pressure of not even breaking even yep so i think my my renewals were probably closer to the i think they're closer to about 20 and then that nine thousand was probably spent across other stuff so that 29 is renewals and further registration so I kind of ended with out of that 141, the initial kind of net was probably around 90,000. And then I made the decision this year, which I haven't done in previous years, to actually then use um, half of that for, um, you know, stepping up and actually reinvesting. So over the last few years, I've hardly been spending. I've actually not been really buying properly. And that comes back, it comes back to that 20 kind of in that 2015, 2016, I was in full investment mode. I wasn't in selling mode, but I I was buying quite heavily and I was buying quite fearlessly. Uh, And then, (laughs) you know, the last couple of years I've been selling, but I've had a certain fear around buying. So it was a strange year because I think to decide that actually, you know, um, half of it should go into new purchases and acquisitions and only half of it should kind of like, and that's before taxes also be, you know, taking home. 46,000 before tax, you know, it, it's not enough to kind of, uh, definitely not enough for us in London to run the household. Um, <laughs> so we, we made the decision, you know, okay, we'll bite into some of our savings in order to reinvest back into the business. And we're fortunate, we're lucky to have those savings there as well. But I could have very, I could have very easily decided not to spend that 45 at all. But I, I always think, um, you know, in this kind of like, that it's a, it's a, framework called regret minimization so you're trying to think okay in three to five years what types of regrets could i have or in 10 <laughs> years and then how do i today mitigate those how right. do i kind of decide that actually today's person can look after the person who i might be in three or five years mm. and part of me was always like if i am not investing today i'm not 
potentially building a source of income for myself in the future. Right. I'm pretty much eating away at the existing portfolio. I'm not using to use that analogy. I'm not replanting anything today. So that was the I think that was the thinking there, whereby okay, we might lose some savings, but we're trying. Uh, it's either you kind of you save and there's no interest rates right now anyway in a bank account. There's you you, you can kind of save and that money's not really doing much. Or actually, we use that for living costs, and instead, right. the capital that was in the business, we re- reinvested that. Uh, when I say we, uh, uh, myself and my wife. Right. Right. So, oh man, it's a family. It's a yeah, yeah. family sport. You know, a lot of us they look at our names and they see Alvin, they see Nickel, they see you know Josh Reese and Josh and they see these individual names. But yeah. the reality is, it's a family thing. Um, especially when yeah. uh, you're doing this, and this is you know a source of income for you. You know, now I want to go back to something that that you kind of alluded to, but I think it's certainly worth mentioning. Obviously, the commission and fees. 21,000. There's not too, really too much that you can do about that. No, um, that's no. just kind of the cost of, of, of business doing business. And it's like to get the sale, it's like, okay, well, yeah, you could, you could not use after Nick, but you also miss a good demographic, a good yep. sizable demographic to put domains in front of. Now, that being said, so, you know, commission fees, cost of doing business. But the thing that I want to key in on and uh, and really understand is the twenty nine thousand for renewals and further registrations. Now, do you use a strategy in, in terms of your approach to your renewals and, and registrations? So, for instance, before you answer that, I, I myself, as you were going through, I'm thinking about my own portfolio, and you know, it's roughly roughly about two thousand names, um, mostly .com. So, when it's all said and done, like hosting and everything, all in all, I know that every year I have to hit, I have to basically cover expenses or be willing to cover expenses for twenty anywhere from twenty thousand to twenty two thousand dollars. Now, that being said, for me, in terms of, you know, how many domains I try to sell on a given month, which I don't do any outbound. I mean, I do list on after Nick, but most of those are like shoot, shoot the moon prices. Fine with that. But most of my action comes from Dan. Now, that being said, uh, obviously, for me, I kind of narrow things down and understand how how much money is going out on a monthly basis for renewal. So I can chart and kind of see, oh, June is my highest month of renewals. And so before I get to uh, June, I don't want to necessarily wait to get to June and then trying to sell and negotiate based on June's numbers. But it's like, okay, well, you know, I typically will try to handle mine by quarter. So if I can get close as many sales as possible in that first quarter, then it's like pay it forward. Uh, knockout Q2 renewals so that at least gives me, you know, some sort of runway, but it also frees me up in terms of flexibility of mind and psyche to be able to negotiate that if make make offers do come in. Now, do you use um, any sort of strategy when it comes to renewals and, you know, just your further registrations in terms of timing and, and cash flow management? Yeah. So I, I think I'm quite similar but not a quarter ahead. Um, I would love that. I'm, I'm probably working almost like a month ahead. So right. I'm basically making sure that for next month, I and I, I don't actually renew them a month in advance, but I make sure that the capital is available. If say, for example, this month or next month, sorry, I know that there's $2,000 worth of renewals coming. I separate that money out as soon as I've got it uh, within the six weeks prior to that. 
So I know that, you know, I'm always working that kind of month, four to six weeks ahead to make sure that there's enough cash flow to cover those. Now, do you keep that money before you go on there? Do you keep that money in a separate account? So like I have a, I have an account that's based on um, purchases, but then I actually have a bank account that's solely dedicated to renewals only. Yeah. So I have it in, it's almost like folders within the bank account. Uh, you can, so it's the same bank account, but mm-hmm. you can kind of separate it out or, or split it out. Right. Um, but I think a lot of the time, as long as I can see that the minimum number in the account is at a certain level, I've got some level of confidence that actually, okay, I know I'm not going to spend below that. I'm going to try and maintain it. So, you know, I don't want to see that number go below $3,000, $4,000 in that particular account that the renewals are going to come from. I just won't touch it. And actually, if it's um, for me, because I'm working with multiple accounts like USD or dollar accounts, but then also pounds or, you know, British Mm. sterling. So even if I can see a month in advance that there's not I've got the pounds, but there's not enough dollars. I'll just transfer them across to make sure that, you know, I've got enough to cover the following four to six weeks. But I, I, I guess I also, I think what a lot of people have in terms of, especially I see this more on the dot-com side is people buy domains that they can kind of uh, envisage themselves holding on to forever. Or at least, you know, they're not, they're buying the quality of domains where they're not thinking I'll buy this domain, hold it for a year or two years and then drop it. They're thinking, okay, this is a really good domain. I want to scale and build my portfolio. So dropping names isn't a core part of that strategy. Whereas I think for me, year on year, I'm dropping at least, I'd say like 40 to 50% of my, 40% of my portfolio every year. Really? Yeah. Especially over the last few years. I, I, so I think even that's probably why my registrations, my, my renewals is lower than if you looked at the size of my portfolio and you're like, okay, 2000 domains and then renewing 2000.co domains or 1800.co domains <laughs> is a huge cost. It's, it's a much bigger number than my total renewals up there. But that's because probably less than half of them actually get renewed in, uh, you know, at least half of them get renewed maybe. Um, but Well, and then to but, offset that, to throw into that though, you when you purchase, you're also doing so prudently by using uh coupon codes right that's right yeah so for um for for the ones that i am dropping they've been bought in that kind of two to six dollar range normally um maybe some of them have been bought a little bit higher eight or nine dollars if i'm buying you know a significantly higher than that those are the ones i'm keeping so if i'm buying from hundred dollars upwards those are the ones i'm holding for the long term but i think with that kind of strategy it's also you don't feel a huge sense of guilt in dropping 300 and something domains or 400 domains if you know that it was a numbers game from the start so mm, um that's on, good on 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 um on a particular day i think it was a day so it was, i was in austin the day after the conference sitting in the hotel room i had an extra day because of the way the flights worked out and this um, deal came up 199.co domains on name.com. So I'm sat in the hotel, and before I know it, I've ended up with like 350 of them. <laughs> so that that was okay. Uh, uh, Rule that's... number one never stay an extra day at NamesCon by yourself yeah. in a hotel room and looking through email, <laughs> especially a domainer's email. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I was already hyped up and excited being at NamesCon, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that 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 those 350.co domains 
um, they were bought with a very particular strategy that, okay, I know, all right, there's 350 there. I actually only over the last year sold five of them, but mm. that five of them sold for just over $3,000. So now when I go to drop 345 of them, or, you know, um, maybe I'll hold on to a few, say I drop 340 of them. I don't feel bad because I know that the ones that were there, they they kind of played their part. I might keep a few of them that had actually decent inquiries on them or they've got good traffic to them or, you know, they, they stand out as actually um, maybe they're worth giving another year. They're worth giving one more chance. But the rest of them that get dropped, they kind of, they've already played their part. It was a numbers game whereby yeah, it's a very small sell-through rate. But I think that's been a part of the strategy when you're playing that type of volume game you never really let the renewals catch up to it uh, you kind of want to make sure that you buy sell what you can for the first year and they're, they're kind of picked and uh, they're, they're chosen for that particular strategy so that's that's the kind of methodology I've been using for the last few years for I'd say a good portion of the portfolio and then the profits generated from that kind of like bulk buying they're pushed further upstream so then I used say for example that 700 was turned into 3000 and then you take off the commissions and um, you take off the cost of initially buying them maybe you're left with like eighteen hundred dollars mm. um then that 1800 I would be pushing further upstream. So I'd be trying to buy better quality domains or I'd be trying to push them towards something where I thought it was a safer, longer term investment. So I think the strategy is always, even on that lower end, you're looking to generate cash flow to push it into domains which are going to hopefully be held a little bit longer than a year. Interesting. Now, what what strikes me is odd there that for most new investors, they're likely going to say, well, wait, I thought the point was to actually purchase a name, hold on to it, and then wait for three to five years for someone to come along and buy. But what you're saying is that you're actually profitable by one, you know, not renewing, you know, most of the domains, but then two, you're actually using promo codes when you do purchase and so, you know, it, it kind of flies into the face of what, like, wait, what kind of strategy is this? Um, and, and that being said, now, do do you ever go back and repurchase any of the domains that you let drop? So I think not anymore. I did a, I did a few years back. And why is that? So uh, now I think when you drop a lot of the domains, they end up in the premium bucket as well. Um, so the doc the Doco registry has rolled out their premium tier. So a lot of the inventory that I was buying in kind of 2017, 2018 for, you know, uh, $1 to $5, that would now maybe cost you $109, $120, uh, maybe more. The other thing is, I think is just, if I really think I would like to hold on to that domain, I would rather just pay the renewal rather than drop it because there's so many more eyes on Doco domains now than there were two three four years ago so my chances of dropping it and if it's a, a domain worthy of re-entering the portfolio the odds of me grabbing it the second time round are, are a lot lower now than they might have been a few years back how do you disconnect emotionally when it comes time to you know to to do the the renewal to decide a renewal or to drop i mean there's always some emotion in it because <laughs> Uh, you, there, there's some level of gut feel about what constitutes, you know, you look at a domain and I'd say the, the, the first part of the filtering is the most important because that's all done with data points. 
So I'm looking at within a spreadsheet, a variety of factors. So I'm looking at, okay, well, initially, what have I got it priced at? What are the number of TLDs that are taken for this SLD? So if it's a, if it's a word, I'm looking at, you know, what's the count of, is it taken in five extensions, 10, 30, 40? So that attributes some kind of value to, you know, how popular is that SLD? Then I'm checking always if I'm looking to renew a .co, is the .io registered? I'm also looking at things like the GoDaddy valuation. I, I know people hate appraisals, um, <laughs> but I, I, I think you don't necessarily always have to use appraisals to set your own prices. I think you can integrate appraisal values into your data points just to give guidance. And sometimes that That's means good. that... Uh, you know, you might disagree with the actual valuation. You might disagree with the fact that GoDaddy says something is worth 2000 you think it's worth three or four. But if it says that domain is worth 2000 and it says five others are only worth 100 or, you know, right. 300 I think you have to take advantage of the scale of their data set versus your own as a domainer. Right. And you, you have to understand that actually those patterns are worth value. So... I do utilize those types of valuations to understand, okay, well, do I keep this or drop it um, independently of what I might price it at? And then I also track traffic and inquiries as well. So if a domain's had, you know, uh, two or three inquiries or one inquiry, and I think actually it's got an opportunity that, you know, that person might loop back around or maybe I'll be able to follow up with them or potentially, you know, if it's had a couple of inquiries or it has a decent level of traffic, I might think, okay, well, there's something here. Let me hold on to it for a bit. So I, I combine all of these data factors to do the first pass in order to kind of like filter out, I'd say at least 80% of what I want to drop. And then some of it you just have to do by hand. You just have to use right. your own eyes. You have to do manual checks for like, you know, I'll use LinkedIn, Crunchbase. <laughs> now I haven't automated any of that side. So that I don't have any kind of like super software pulling in like LinkedIn or Crunchbase or any of those data sets, I just open the tab and go to them manually and look at, okay, well, how many companies have this kind of uh, use this word in their brand? Or even if you just do a simple Google and you're searching, okay, well, um, who else is using this as a brand looking on Crunchbase? I'm not, I'm not saying that in the sense of looking to match Coca-Cola, but I'm just looking in a sense of like, so you're not trying to match a particular brand, but you're saying that, okay, well, if it's a word like uh, wave, you're looking to say, well, how many companies are called wave? Um, And, you know, that's, that's an indicator of the potential demand for that domain. So I do that even with the ones where they're on the edge. I'm not sure whether to renew them. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I actually spend a little bit more time on those, which are kind of the maybes. I think the maybes actually eat into the most amount of time. You, You can kind of filter out so many very easily and not feel any emotion about them because their quality is a lot lower, but it's those ones which really catch you out and you're not sure, do I renew it? Do I not? And those kind of eat into your time actually evaluating them. But yeah, you're, I mean, what you asked about emotions, you can't completely disconnect, but you, <laughs> you have to to some extent because, um, you know, there's, if you get too emotional and you get too attached, um, there's a cost to that. So I think um, you, have <laughs> That's to decide, a great point. You, you have to decide what that emotion is worth. So yeah, I, I normally kind of uh, also err towards caution in the sense of I would probably not keep the domain. So mm. if I was 50-50 split, um, some people might decide, okay, on a, in a 50-50, if you're on the fence, be safer and keep the domain. I'm probably on the other side where I'm like, if I'm, if I'm not sure, I'll lean towards just drop it. 
and that's actually probably saved me a lot over the years whereas if i'd been I, 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 and I think that that's part of the decision-making process that if you're 50-50 and you're always leaning towards yes, that cost accumulates over the years. Whereas if you're 50-50 and you're leaning towards no, uh, that saving accumulates over the years. That is great insight. Now, one question that came to mind here uh, that you got me thinking about, and it's a formula that I often use in terms of, um, you know, make offers. So I list most of mine on Dan. Sometimes there are bins, but most of these are going to be make offers. Uh, Like, what is your rule of thumb in regards to what you're willing to accept for a price? And you, what brought it to mind was when you were mentioning about the, let's just take, for instance, GoDaddy, the GoDaddy appraisal. Uh, and so if I ever have a domain that comes in, oftentimes, you know, I'll look at what that first offer is. And obviously the rule and everybody will say, don't accept the first offer. But if I ever look at an offer to where, you know, let's say that GoDaddy, they appraised it at $1,500, but the offer comes in something like 2500 And I will look and I'll say to myself, I'm like, okay, what are my odds of getting that person from the 25, maybe to two and a half times, whatever the appraisal amount is. Like, do you use formulas such as that or things like that uh, to help you gauge or negotiate? Or, you know, how, how would you negotiate something like that in the case of a domain that was valued at 1500 and it comes in uh, with an inquiry at 2,500? Or would you just hit the accept button? <laughs> um, I think, I mean, it's I'd like depends on say, depends on where I'm at yeah, in the month. It, do you know what it does? It depends what mood you're in. <laughs> I'd love to say there's some divine strategy that I stick to like a robot, but sometimes what happens is you're in the mood to take it or you're not, you're in the mood to have to like, you know, play with the buyer and you're like, oh, let's see how far I can push this. And I think most of the time, uh, and this was something that I talked about um, you know, a while back, where I was like, what would you pay for that domain? So when I, I think whenever you're countering, you, whenever you're trying to kind of like raise the odds, there's a cost in the sense of if you're seeking some type of diminishing return, so you're trying to negotiate from 2,500 up to 3,000, I think I'm always in the back of my head, I'm like, well, how hard do I want to fight for that last 500? Because the odds are not in my favor in the sense that if I keep fighting and I lose the sale, yep. um, I, I wouldn't have bought that domain for 2,500. And how much longer might I have to wait to reach that 3,000? Is someone going to offer that next year? Is someone going to offer that in three months, one month, right. or maybe never? So I think I look at it from the perspective of if it's a decent offer and I'm happy with it, I would rather not lose, like, lose the sale. I'd rather just kind of lock it in. So there, I think there's a few different ways. It's a little bit tricky on Dan because when the first offer comes in, you can't actually write anything back. But right. Um, there's a number of different strategies that you can use to kind of like accept the first offer without like, especially on email, you know, you want to take the offer. You're, you're like, okay, that's a good offer. I want to go ahead, but you can kind of go back and say, Hey, look, yeah, I'm happy to go ahead. If it's paid within a certain time frame, or, you know, you, you kind of want to put something. Yeah. I'm happy to go ahead. If um, yeah, you're able to cover escrow fees or, you know, th- there's right. something you can kind of like push back with in a way of saying, yes without kind of like screaming at them, yes, yes, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so on Dan, it's a little bit tricky because you you have to actually either accept or counter with a number before you can send the buyer a message. And I've always wondered, you know, if there was a some type of every time you accept the first offer, the deal always fails. And a lot of people talk about that. But I've accepted loads of offers the first time and the deal's gone through. So 
it, it's always a lottery. I think like if you're happy with the number, take it. And if the deal doesn't come through, that buyer was probably not that serious in the first place. Even if you negotiated them up, they might have been flaky anyway. Right. Um, and if they are serious, they'll they'll if they put in a serious offer which is close to your asking price. Sometimes they've just done it because you've got the make offer box available. They were probably like um, <laughs> one dollar. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's three hundred dollars. Let me just try it two thousand and then or two thousand five hundred and just see if I can get that little bit of discount. And uh, in most of those scenarios, I'm like, yeah, fine, have the discount. Thank you for the offer. And yeah, I I normally I think, and this is something probably that. Maybe it doesn't help me over the long run. Maybe it does. But my priority is normally if it's within the range whereby this domain has generated a reasonable level of profit and it's worth more within that transaction to the buyer than it is to me, I'll normally lean towards closing that sale rather than trying to prolong any negotiation or force them to a particular number, which is um, based on any kind of rule. And so then, so let me ask you this then. So uh, and this happened to me. Matter of fact, it happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I get an offer on Dan. Let's just say the person's name is Bob Jenkins. I can, and obviously on Dan, you can actually see, you know, where where the IP or where they say the IP, um, and which country the buyer or the prospect is 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 contacting you from. And offer came in. I looked at the domain, and it was definitely it was almost two and a half times more excuse me, then the, um, what GoDaddy value or validated the, uh, I guess, appraisal or what they appraised it to be. And then the moment that I hit approve, I then noticed the first and last name changes. Yes. <laughs> and then I go and look up that person's name to discover. I was like, oh, I've oh, been yeah. had, I've been played. <laughs> It changes when they actually go to through the checkout to pay for the item, right? So mm-hmm. when it turns up as Bill Gates instead of uh, yeah. Mr. Jenkins. There you uh, go. <laughs> so have you had that happen? Yeah, I have. And you know what? You can't kick yourself over it if if the price is right. Um, so I, I think this is where uh, different people's strategy alters where like, I know that there's some uh, very famous domainers that would be like, you know, never sell unless you know who you're selling to. And, um, right. you know, you've got to extract the maximum value of the domain. And to do that, you have to know who you're selling to and how much they're worth and um, what the domain means to them. And you have to understand their business model and understand, okay, well, if they buy this domain, how much will it sell for? Uh, uh, I think that strategy has a place, but it doesn't have a place at $2,000 or $3,000. I think right. that's a strategy that you might consider when the asset is worth, you know, uh, high five high, or six, or, you know, it's a seven figure domain. That's a, then a different ball game. I think when you're looking at, especially in the sub 5,000 range, I think if you're happy with the number, it doesn't really matter who buys the domain. I think um, True. maybe you feel afterwards, oh, I could have got more out of this, but I've seen also big companies when they're buying and entrepreneurs when they're buying and they are price sensitive, you know, um, right. they, and, and they have options. So they might be looking at your domain and they've decided, oh, my budget is 5,000. And then as soon as you're pushing for 10, the, the deal's gone and they decided they want something else. So I think unless you really have a desire or you really think there's a lot of squeeze to be had from that domain and the domain has long-term value and there's other buyers that might want it, so unless you feel, you know, you're in a strong enough position to actually kind of justify squeezing that extra out of the domain, uh, I think you're better off taking the money 
reinvesting it and then allowing it to compound over time. So within the time frame that you might wait for the perfect offer or that type of negotiation where you're extracting higher value out because you know that the buying entity is worth a lot more in the time frame that it takes to maybe do that and lose the sale or make the sale. I think you're better off taking the money and reinvesting. So totally. But again, I think uh, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there because I know that different people sell in different ways and people have had successes, you know, really saying that, okay, maybe most people would have cashed out at 10 or 20 or 30,000. But I, I also feel like the strategy whereby you hold out for like, you know, crazy money on a domain, you've got to not need the money of that sale in the first place. Right. So it, it, and it, it's, it's I, I think I've written the post, you know, I've said it in the past, but unless you're already a millionaire, stressful, difficult, and financially unproductive to depend on domain names as your main source of income, by the time you're batting down 20, 30, 40, 50K, or, you know, you're batting away 100, 150,000, or 200,000 in the hopes of something extravagantly bigger, you're hopefully already in the financial position where that type of number that you're turning down isn't going to change your life or isn't going to help you. Right. Um, so if you're already sitting in, you know, a couple of million dollar home and you've got 5 million in the bank account or you're Michael Saylor and you just say no until it hit, voice.com hits 30 million, you know, he, he had to, in order to get to 30 million, turn down all of the numbers that many of us would have taken, but all of us don't have that level of wealth where, uh, you know, 20 million doesn't make a dent in our savings. It right. doesn't change anything. So I think a lot of the time, the advice that's given is given from the perspective of people that already have a huge amount of wealth and numbers don't really make a difference to them. Whereas for most domainers, especially if you're in the learning phase, it's very difficult to have a, a distinct <laughs> certainty about the value of the domain because you could easily turn down a lot of opportunity across your portfolio in order to kind of smash the ball out of the baseball stadium. You know, you're just not taking the runs and the points where you can you know uh, i think whilst you're learning that kind of that churn or that allowing inventory to flow that's also quite productive because you're learning about values you're learning how to negotiate you're learning how to kind of create regular sales and allow for cash flow if you're happy with the number or if it's more than you think you would pay for the domain i'd say sell it and reinvest unless you think that particular domain has a significantly higher value or a much larger audience that might be willing to buy it. Don't worry about extracting the maximum value from one particular entity. Right. And I mean, and it goes back to, and you, I mean, you said it so well in terms of the, when you have additional sources of income and the income is not, you know, the income that to be had is not going to change your life one way or the other. Yeah, of course you can sit back and say no. I mean, and who's going to fault you for doing it? Because you're not hurting anybody. So to say you're certainly not hurting yourself. Uh, But I think you and I, we had this conversation almost a year ago to the date. And I think it was when we were doing the My Names Con, one of those interviews there. And I was telling you, I think prior to us recording at how 2019, I, I was pushing the ballot a bit with a lot of my negotiations. And it was just kind of like, nope, I'm not budging. You're going to meet my number. You're going to meet my number. And when I look back at those sales that didn't happen, I mean, you you tab that up and that's at least between forty to $50,000. That could have been realized. And, and so now you look back and go, well, what happened to those domains a year from now? And they're still there, still there. And in most cases have not had an inquiry. 
And so now, you know, looking back, 2020 is literally and figuratively hindsight <laughs> at yeah. this point. Um, but, you know, I look back and I go, oh, shoot, did did I actually miss the window of opportunity on those domains or will it come back around? Who knows? But the reality is I was in a mindset to where at the, at the time I had consulting revenue, kind of like yourself previously, and there was a different mindset. Whereas now it's like, well, that's not, I don't have that consulting revenue that's there. So, whereas, okay, I'd probably, I mean, it'd be a deep discount. You know, I'd probably look at anywhere between 10 and 15,000 uh, total yeah. accumulated sales on something that, you know, when I was in a different mindset, it was like 40, 50,000 total. Uh, I guess the equation there is on the ones that you did sell and you pushed a lot harder, did you achieve enough to offset the ones that didn't sell? Correct. Um, and I, I, I'd be, I mean, I just said like half an hour ago that the biggest sale I've ever made is because I just said no constantly for ages. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm kind of like giving a mixed message here, but it, it comes back to mindset exactly like you've said that at that particular point in time. I just didn't want to sell the domain. I had plans for it. I had other sources of income. I wasn't depending on domaining for, you know, running my household or my kind of monthly operating costs. But did you know that domain would fetch the value that you no, wanted to sell? No, no. Uh, so that, that's where I think luck plays a huge part because say the number before I accepted, if that the offer that I accepted hadn't turned up and I was sitting here today still with the domain and I had in mind the number that arrived just on the last no that I said <laughs> I could be feeling totally different today I could be like hmm why didn't I take that so I that's where I think it does come down to what the situation is I think it's hard to look back and see okay what what could I have done differently or did I do it right and sometimes actually it's it's a lot of luck it's just the time it depends on the circumstance of the buyer it depends on your own personal circumstances but I think that model doesn't necessarily create a predictable f business whereby it does that type of model whereby like you know you're saying no 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 on everything and you're trying to reach the maximum you're trying to reach the apex of value on every single negotiation that doesn't create a sustainable um, revenue stream it doesn't create a ongoing business model it creates you know a portfolio of lottery tickets rather than you know um, uh. That's good. It, it, it's, it's a different strategy. And I think what if you adopt that strategy, what you have to assume is that you're not going to need the proceeds of that domain portfolio. You're not going to depend on that for income. And I think when I started to do uh, that, uh, and I, I've had that strategy in the past, but then as soon as I started thinking, okay, well, I have to shift this from a whole bunch of lottery tickets to some certainty about, you know, a regular monthly income, or, right. you know, I, I have to know that there's some strategy here which is going to generate cash flow on a month-to-month -month basis the strategy has to change away from that so I've definitely been in that place where I'm like well you know I have to get the maximum I'll turn down everything else and it does work but I guess <laughs> I guess what I'm trying uh, I'm trying to think about it from the perspective of you know your kind of your level of certainty or your your risk or your variation on each negotiation is so wild that yes one or two might work out but it's in no way predictable. Whereas I think when you adopt a strategy whereby uh, you're pricing sensibly, you're allowing for some maybe discounting, you're allowing for just actually inventory to flow through the portfolio, you gain some level of confidence around 
what type of cash flow the business might generate based off numbers whereas the other way is it's almost like there's not much mathematics you can apply to it it, it literally is like quite a wild ride <laughs> game of whack-a-mole <laughs> yeah and um and and also the only thing with that strategy is we only hear from the people that you know hit the mole uh, you know in the whack -a -mole. Uh... We, we, we only hear from the ones that like you know that there was joseph like you know uh i think it was earlier this last year yeah like automation name yeah um cognitive um yep yeah cognitive, cognitive automation that's a great story it's a fantastic story and then i'm like well what about all the ones that we didn't hear about that said no and turned down hundred thousand, turned down two hundred thousand to try right. and reach five hundred? What about all of those stories? Where are they? And it's just they're out there, but you don't hear them. So I think it's very easy to focus on the ones where okay, it did pay off or it did work. Right. And it, it's it's that same. Um, you hear about entrepreneurs that like I dropped out of school and look, I'm super rich. And then you're like, okay, well, let's look at it from a perspective of mathematics. And you say, well, let's just take everybody that dropped out of school. And then it's a different equation. Um, it's a different type of looking at it, not just for um, a particular subgroup that has done really well. And you're like, there's a, there's a correlation here that all these successful entrepreneurs dropped out of school. So that must be the causality. That must be that <laughs> when you drop out of school, you do really well in life. Is not necessarily work in that way. <laughs> that that isn't a a foolproof domain investing strategy to <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think yeah, it's it's really easy to look for data points that fit your confirmation. That's the confirmation bias, right? It's really right. easy to always seek things exactly. that fit your thesis. There's always really easy to look for people that are in a position of where you want to be and then try and mold yourself around them. And that's part of that bias as well. But I think you have to look at a wider picture. You have to look at a broader picture and to sustain yourself over the long term, you have to look at it from a perspective of managing that risk and return. Definitely. Now, Nicole, let me ask you this. So on an average, you, you probably close anywhere from five to seven, five to 10 sales in a given month. Now, how do you choose which platforms you list and at what pricing obviously you're using after nick and dan for most of these so like kind of walk us through that thought process in how you see a domain and then decide okay this is going to go on after nick this is going to go on dan or it's going to go on both uh you know walk us through that yeah sure so um i actually only list on both of those two platforms um i don't have it i don't have any of these domains listed anywhere else so no squad help no, no, no squad help. Um, wow. And I, I've always been really curious on those platforms, but never been smart enough to work out how they actually work. Because as soon as everything <laughs> kicks off with the, the coins and the boosts, and I'm like, well, okay, you lost me, you know. Um, but there's um, definitely kind of an interest there that I want to start checking out those platforms this year, learning a bit more about them. But for me, Afternic is, you know, it, it's the broadest distribution network, especially if you've got fast transfer enabled. I think Sado's MLS network in the past has been quite effective, but I kind of gave up on listing on Sado a couple of years back. So Likewise. everything. Um, I, it, it just, it 
just didn't work and i think there was a lot of mess with you know how you approve the listing and does it get accepted on sedu where they're looking for um you know you're messing around with text files or um <laughs> and then so after, everything goes on after nick everything goes on dan both go on with a buy it now price and both have make offer i think when the domains are distributed on the after network network and through godaddy they're not really presented with that make offer option or it's not as kind of obvious so they there's a lot of bite nows that come through that network i think 95% of my domains are on dan landers so that's the two routes that i think that there's two core paths one is either you go to the landing page and you know there's a path there to kind of like buy the domain or you're actually searching through a registrar GoDaddy or name right. or you know you're, you're just typing and something comes up oh hey you're looking for this would you be interested in this or you're looking for that specific domain through that route I think those are two core parts I know that marketplaces are doing more and more work in terms of increasing the visibility of domains through marketplace search and contests and different routes like that but I've just found those to be a lot less in terms of sales generated through those routes where I think most of the marketplaces they also encourage people to use landing pages um mm, right and that's because so much business just comes through the landing page. I don't think there's many marketplaces out there that say hey just list your domains with us because loads of people search here every month other than Afternick. Um even if you don't use their I didn't use their landing pages and still it still generated sales so that to me is a really powerful search network whereas for the landing pages themselves if the sale is coming through for my price point i think buy it now pages work a lot better um so right. yeah, I, I i list everything everything has a price i think for domains where they might be like ten thousand dollars and higher i've been using uniregistry pages for some of those um just oh. to test it out but that's only because um, you can self-broker through those if you want. But I've also got some in Dan that I'm testing. So uh, I haven't quite worked out what might be the right one there. It might be FT. That's also another great option. So I've kind of, this year, I'll, I'll play a little bit with where to list that upper end. But I think everything 5,000 and under, it, it seems to be working quite well at Dan. And so then, Nigel, now, you know, kind of wrapping up here, let's talk about the uh, NECCTLD predictions that you have based on kind of where we see the market today. I mean, obviously, last week, what, it was climate.vc sold for something like $21,000. And so, obviously, folks are going to hear this this interview. They're going to hear just, you know, how successful you've been in .co, as well as uh, having sold two .ios, one seat, one dot uh, cc so uh, kind of walk us through what what's your mindset on in, in terms of if someone's out there and they want to become a cctld investor how do you gauge whether or not to take on that much risk looking at other you know cctlds firstly i'd say each cctld has a lot of distinct characteristics and when, when we're talking about CCTLDs in this sense, um, I think we're mostly talking about repurposed CCTLDs. So right. Rather than .de, .co.uk, we're talking about, you know, when I mention CCTLDs or uh, repurposed, I'm thinking .io, .co, .ai. So these are CCTLDs, which they were initially designated for countries, but, you know, maybe they've been broadened out or they've been internationalized or they've actually been started to use for a particular niche like .gg for gaming or .vc for venture capital. So I think first is to understand actually um, if you're looking at that repurposed CCTLD, 
what really is kind of that niche supporting or what what does it represent so i knew very early on that there was a strong correlation between .co and startups um and that there was a, a strong connection between .io and uh, uh SaaS and technology businesses and startups again in that space um and then gg is a little bit more obvious where you've got the kind of gaming and esports community .vc for venture capital so uh, i think then you start to understand okay within that niche or within that sector what are the types of words that work and what doesn't work so again there you might not find that the same word works across all of those extensions there might uh. be different slds that are more powerful in one or in the other i think what worries me and you know especially with like if you're looking at those large sales like 20000 for climate.vc I think you have to recognize which sales are outliers or which sales don't necessarily represent a frequent market pattern because it's very easy to get sucked into a frenzy of you know buying and scooping up everything available or <laughs> you know even overpaying in the aftermarket because sometimes there's certain hype cycles and they their outcomes of echo chambers where right. you know someone posts uh a couple of sales and we're all super excited or somebody says you know this is really heating up and everyone wants to rush in because no one wants to miss out and then a lot of what happens is you hear about some sales but you don't hear about how much money everyone else wasted as a whole right right um and it, again it comes back to the numbers that you can see and the numbers that you can't see so uh i think with vc we've definitely seen some success with gg as well but i know so many domainers myself included who've you know invested in these kind of niches knowingly knowing that they're high risk categories but we haven't necessarily seen the payoff that others have so i'd exercise that word of caution in the sense that some of these renewals can be quite high even some of the purchase upfront purchase costs can be quite high um i think that kind of like i know we're talking about cctlds but that risk return extends even further sometimes where Definitely. if you're looking if you're looking at uh, new gtlds um you might sometimes are looking at premium renewals year after year after year rather than just a premium up front even so with the cctlds i think there's definitely scope there's definitely opportunity from an investment point of view and a lot of the time my investment thesis has been yeah there's room to make money outside of .com but the scale of that opportunity and also the risk to return is kind of often misunderstood i think it's really easy to, for for people especially um people that don't have experience either in domains or they don't have experience in that particular niche it's really easy to lose a lot of money quickly because um <laughs> yeah you kind of dive in thinking you know if i buy 100 vcs or like i don't know like chocolate.vc and uh, lawnmower.vc and you know I, i'm buying keywords that are popular in .com or keywords that i've sold for a lot in .com in the past you know and you might not really see those shift I was just about to type in lawnmower.vc to see uh, <laughs> now, now that I've said that it's probably hey, it's some, registered it's registered it's, registered. it's gone yeah, it's probably you, some uh, you spoke it into existence as soon as it flew out of your mouth it was like registered registered or it's probably owned by some multi billion dollar venture capital firm um exactly yeah i i i just think um yeah i i i do have a i do have some level of excitement around the opportunity but i exercise a huge amount of caution because a lot of us that are investing into some of these ccttods quite early on are very well in uh knowing of the risks that 
you know, we, we know that we might not sell many domains over the course of the year. We're trying to price them in a way that they cover our renewal costs or they cover our purchase costs. But I think for people that are new to the industry or people that are new to those particular CCTLDs, I'd say, you know, take your time to learn, look at the sales patterns, look at name bio, and then factor all those things in before you actually kind of jump all in. And, you know, maybe even spread your risk. Don't go all into one or maybe try and look at multiple. But we've all, we've all said in the past, I mean, when, uh, when we were talking with Morgan, I think for people that are essentially new to domaining, I think .com is the safest place to be because with most other extensions, you're, sw you're swimming upstream. Um, and with some of these newer ones, they are quite small niches. I mean, how many VCs are out there? You know, it's like, uh, it, it's not, it's not like a, there's a whole country of VCs out there. Yeah. There, there's only um, a certain number of potential buyers in that market. Yeah, VCs um, aren't like gas stations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's it's it's a tricky one. I think Climate.VC, obviously, you know, maybe there was two end users fighting over it, and I don't, I, I haven't actually checked who that domain's gone to, but I think that's also the other thing to be able to separate out end user prices versus wholesale prices. So, yeah. as an investor, you're not sucking in. You're not like kind of misunderstanding and putting your capital into uh, domains at the higher end where you're moving towards end user prices thinking that that might be a wholesale value or you're not extrapolating it to the sense that last month the high sale was uh, 5k and this month it's 20k so next month it must be like you know 50 or 100 right. you're, not, you're not extrapolating it in some crazy pattern where actually you think this is going to the moon because I think some of these are outliers and some of these patterns are actually really hard to predict. Totally. You, and you hit, the, you hit the exact point. So I'm actually putting together a written piece about what CCTLD is prime and next for exponential growth. And one of the things that it's becoming quite clear to me is I cannot distinguish end user and wholesale, so retail wholesale pricing. And so, for instance, with IO, I'm convinced I and I, I just don't know necessarily which way uh, or, or how to dissect the, the data to know any way otherwise. But I'm totally convinced that we're well beyond wholesale pricing. Yeah, um, yeah. like like with where that pricing is, you know, I'm like, yeah, don't go past go going into there. Or if you go into investing in IO, you better surely know what you're doing because like when i when i look at your list here of uh what is it the 83 sales that are here one of the things that strikes me is that in most cases you're not going beyond sometimes seven or eight characters i mean there are a few outliers there in terms of sld length but most are not beyond seven eight characters and most are going to be one word um mm -hmm. I, I do see a couple of you know two words in there like uh one click or overflow or call me.co and or go save.co you know I, I see a couple of those in there that you know would be deemed as two words but i mean like i'm looking at one here smart lighting growth marketing those are more of the longer ones and so it it's it's one of those things of just getting to like even if you are going to invest in other uh, CCTLDs, it's probably best to stay. I mean, close to home. And when I say close to home, probably five characters or less, uh, one word, and not unless it just truly makes sense. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, you, you know, we don't want to go out there amphibian.vc yeah. <laughs> or anything that extravagant. It's like, no, don't do that. Really stay close to home. Keep a tight rein on that SLD and, and ensure that it matches. Yeah. I, and I think the other thing that really stands out when I'm looking at that list of domains is there's no five figure sales in the whole list. So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, you know, the, the, um, and this is this is really interesting that uh, a portfolio uh, which averaged over the course of the year at around 2000 domains didn't generate any sales in the five figure range kind of putting myself down there but uh, <laughs> you know it, it actually but the, but the data is what it yeah, is it stands out to me to say that actually you know yes you can go crazy buying cctlds but even their ranges of what their upper limits are are capped and the curve on those is that actually if you're looking at it that that kind of like bell curve the bulk of the trades uh that happen on these cctlds sit within a range of like you know yeah maybe 500 to two and a half thousand slightly higher on maybe some of them like .io um but those larger sales where you're looking at 10 to 50,000 dollars or higher are much more rare so again if you're uh, i mean i i i do buy it on the higher end and i do try and sell on that higher end but the fact that i can go a whole year without you know closing any of those deals i think that speaks huge volumes as to what you should be considering when you're in an auction and you know you're paying five six up to twelve thousand and i do think margins are getting squashed so i i've definitely mm. paid up this year for a few domains where i'm paying what i would have considered five years ago to be end user pricing and i'm paying it i think the reason that I'm doing that is because I know that the margins are getting squash, the domains themselves are getting harder and harder to find. And I think a lot of other people in the market feel similarly. But I think if you are going to pay up and you are going to kind of overextend yourself to kind of pick a particular domain, it better be within that top 1% of the CCTLD. Of the, uh, so kind of like if you are really going to pay up for any domain within .bc.gg io.co it better be kind of like the best of the best within that uh, extension um and that that's you know you're really looking to minimize risk in a way that if you're going to pay high numbers for a particular domain you want to know that it's maybe it's liquid value isn't right. far off so if you're going to really overextend and maybe pay 5000 10000 for a particular domain you want to know that its liquid value is maybe 8 or 7 but i think it's really hard on .vc and .gg it's really hard to say that it's worth extending to that level on those because their track record is very different to io and .co they are a lot newer there isn't proof of kind of a high volume of sales in that kind of five figure range i think .io .ai .co are much more established so uh, when you see people paying up for them in auctions, I think it's because of that that they're established so well as alternatives to .com. But again, that could swing, that could change. Um, so I think you don't want to go crazy. I think you've got to buy within your own limits. Totally. And I was I just pulled up a spreadsheet here uh, just based on the report that I'm the written content that I'm doing. Uh, and, and it's interesting to look at. So I pulled numbers from NameBio 
over the last three years for each of uh, the CCTLDs. So, you know, for instance, I did .ai, .tv, .cc, .vc, .gg, .to, .io, .co, .ag, and then .ml, which there was no uh, name bio sales data available. And so when I look at something like .ag, in 2018, total sales, um, not total number of sales and not total uh, sales or dollar volume. And for AG in 2018, it was eight were sold as tracked by name bio. 2019, 12, uh, 2020, 19. That's a, uh, seems like very slow. Versus if we look at something like a .gg, in 2018, there were 11 total sales, 2019, 30 total sales, in 2020, 172. Um, are you stripping out, say, for example, park.io in those numbers? Because a lot of those might just be wholesale transactions as well. Correct. And, and so that and that's what I, I get to in the actual written piece is how okay. do you actually determine what's what based on this number? You know, one can say, oh, well, this is actually taking off. Yeah. But really, is it? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't want to give away your piece right there. but um, Right. And really, is it? Yeah. And so there's the there's the yeah. rub versus when you start looking at even if you look at AI in 2018, there were three hundred and nine total sales. In 2019, 2,202 sales. But then in 2020, only 1,300 sales. And so you go, wait a minute, this thing almost drops in half. But yet, if you look at the highest price in 2020, it was 107,000. Whereas in 2019, the highest priced AI was 50,000. And the highest priced back in 2018 was 101,000. So they're like the they're all over the place. Um, and the only one and one that's interesting to me is dot TV, which in 2018 had 209 total sales, 2019, 218 total sales, 2020, only 187. And so if you base it on that number, you go, oh, well, it's moving downward. Yeah, I mean, um, but we, we've also heard on the flip side, a lot of healthy sales are um, Exactly. So it's really confusing. It's definitely <laughs> uh, the other thing I'd say is like we've got access. I mean, we uh, both of us have been in this space for a while. We've got access to name bio. We've got in our heads um, some experience and some type of database of you know knowing right and wrong. And this is confusing for us, right? Right. And I just imagine that for people that are new to the industry, it could throw things off completely because if it's confusing to people that are in the industry it's like you know gibberish to people outside <laughs> um so yeah i think that's that's again where you know you, even when you're trying to discern these patterns there are a lot of different things that can be happening to the data source so right potentially you know the data source might have only integrated one of the auction platforms in a particular year um potentially you know the registry might have run in one particular year, a large amount of auctions. Exactly. Um, or promos. Or and... promos, or actually in one particular year, I don't know, there might have been um, much more activity just from domainer to domainer. Um, right. It's, it's, it's really difficult to tell. Um, so I think the only way you can kind of really work out what's happening in those spaces is either you partly have to test them yourself or you have to learn from others within who are, you know, experiencing and testing 
And how do you, how do you test? So like, for instance, if I'm looking at, you know, I show my hand, I I go, Hey, I think I I even told it in our interview with Morgan, where I was like, Hey, I'm looking at .cc. But to a certain extent before going out and going all in, there's just certain, you know, instead of buying a hundred of these or 200 of these start with 10. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and let it be your best ten that you're going to invest in, yeah. and then just kind of see how it goes. If it goes great, add another ten to twenty more. If that goes great, add another twenty five fifty. But you kind of have to build out. But I think oftentimes, especially like in you start looking at dot VC, you, you start seeing sales, and if you're blinded by what's happening on Twitter, what's being posted, how many days, and all this other stuff that just happened between all these sales, the next thing you know, you've spent. And those may have been just anomalies and flukes that, you know, don't come to fruition for you uh, in terms of of a grand, this big grand experiment. Yeah, uh, it's there's so much um, statistical variance between, you know, uh, and especially if you're you're holding volumes like 10, 20, 50 domains. Mm -hmm. um, It's really hard to even at that level to determine you know, what is significant and what's not. I uh, So I think if you've got those domains, you can look at, all right, what what's the traffic volumes? Am I getting inquiries to those, even if you're not selling them? You do want to keep an eye on the market and see, okay, are they selling? Do I have similar words to the ones that are selling for that particular SLD? Is there activity in other extensions? You know, am I seeing that um, keyword being used a lot in at the moment in other extensions for that particular CCTLD, am I seeing sites and end user activity of uh, actually domains that are bought being developed? So, you know, okay, it's not just a bubble. People, end users are buying these, and I can actually see that sites are being developed on top of them. So, I think you can look at a, a variety of different factors, but there's so much variation from portfolio to portfolio. There's so much, I mean, each domain's unique. So, it's really hard to treat them all exactly the same. So I think it's, it's, it's difficult. It's, um, it's difficult to work out. So, I definitely agree in the sense that start small, scale up, don't go crazy, stick within your means. And I think even when I have been testing some of the more kind of like newer uh, repurposed CCTLDs like .gg.vc, I tested .so recently. All I've done is I've taken a set amount of cash or I've taken a set amount of money and I've said, okay, look, initially for the first year, this is all I'm going to spend. And then if I make sales, maybe I might, use those sales towards renewals on the others i'll gauge it like in that manner so i think you have to be kind of like um have some limits on initially but beyond the point where you don't have any evidence or before the point that you have evidence you have to in some way limit what your losses might end up being so if you can afford 300 going at 300 if you can afford 500 going at 500 if you think okay i'm going to put in a thousand or two thousand and i'll know that i'm going to completely potentially lose this i think that's the way to look at it to understand that it's quite high risk and you know it's a it's a almost like an r&d budget i'd call it not necessarily even an investing budget so if you're going to take that money out (laughs) you're doing research and development rather than what you're not doing is adding to your kind of like core investments what you're doing is utilizing that capital to explore. So uh, I think you've almost got to assume at the point you're making um, those types of investments in the very new extensions is for the purposes of research rather than investment. 
Right. I totally agree. Well, to wrap things up, Nico, if you and I are having this conversation like a year from now, kind of what do you make is on, you know, what's next on the horizon for CCTLDs, uh, in your opinion, kind of what you know, uh, is there anything to be looking out for over 2021 or just kind of what goes through your mind? Um, I'm still, uh, I mean, I'm still based on kind of what I'm holding in my portfolio. There's a lot of bias, but I'm still quite optimistic that over next year, there's going to be continued sales in CCTLDs, um, especially .co and .io. I, I made a, uh, a prediction on um, Domain Name Wire Roundup where it was like, you know, I made a prediction to say, okay, well, I think that we're going to see our first six-figure sale in .io, public six-figure sale. Uh, I know that some have been reported, um, you know, under the radar right. of the, that type of size, but we haven't really seen any in Name Bio. So I do think that we're going to see some limits get broken purely because of the demand for some of these and then also the kind of shrinking pool of that top level. So there's a lot of these extensions. Um, the best keywords have either been developed or they've been bought. Um, so I think we're going to see some more five-figure sales and I'm hoping I see some five-figure sales in that space. <laughs> um, but uh, in general, I think what's driving a lot of this is going to be what's happening in .com. And I can't see dot-com prices slowing down. I can't see them kind of like coming backwards because, you know, they're on a rocket ship right now, um, oh, especially man. for like top-end one word, also really good two words. Um, if you're in any of the auctions right now, you'll know that actually like if you overpaid two years ago, you'd be very happy with a lot of the, based on a lot of the prices that are in the market right now. So if dot coms continue to accelerate, I think that leaves room underneath. And at the moment, part of that kind of space has been filled with the kind of repurposed CCTLDs. So I think we're going to keep seeing sales in that space. And yeah, I, I'm kind of open to there being surprises along the course of the way because, you know, we might see, um, we, I, I think we might see cctlds get used in ways that we didn't imagine or, or different right. niches emerge or so yeah I'm, I, i'd say i'm i don't know cautiously optimistic i'm uh, <laughs> I, I, I and i think i think that was um i think morgan said that so i'm stealing it from him but i am optimistic i'm cautious in the sense that i'm still aware that there's a lot of like economic ripples going through the world right now there's a lot of just sheer money being printed or pumped in to keep everything going but then i'm optimistic in the sense that businesses are still full speed ahead on getting going digital and kind of upgrading their digital presence domains are the kind of foundation for digital businesses they're the bedrock of that so i'm quite optimistic in that sense that you know i can't foresee anything in the year ahead that will drastically change that direction now, nah, every I I would agree with everything you said. Now, one thing though that is uh, I'd be interested to know, and I know I told you last question, but it, it this just emerged into my mind as you were talking about uh, what things could possibly you know change the course or direction of the future. And so, what do you make of Clubhouse right now and its impact on domaining? Does it have an impact? Are we seeing anything? I know we just had a recent sale between uh, Drew Rosner and Ashwin for yeah. rl.org for something like $13,000. Does Clubhouse, uh, you know, start to play a role into the domain industry for 2021? 
I think it's an interesting one. So I, I just signed up today. I've got an invite. I, I think it, it's a tricky one because we're, we're seeing a lot of mixed things at the moment in the sense that there's a lot of different information flying around on Clubhouse at the moment in terms of how to make money in domains. There's a kind of like a massive surge on .club domains where I think um, they're partly being promoted by domain investors in Clubhouse, but also there's a connotation there between Clubhouse and .club, and we're seeing a lot of activity with those domains. So it's yet to be seen whether the effect it has is, you know, positive or negative initially. It, the worst case scenario is like domain investing gets a really bad reputation because loads of people get stung and waste loads of money. And yeah, um, that that's kind of like, I hope it doesn't happen. And the best case scenario is it becomes another source of community like Twitter has become for domainers that, you know, it's a place that we can all kind of talk, we can share knowledge, um, but it's also a bit more of a public space in that we can cross over with other industries True. and, um, you know, uh, share learnings between kind of like different spaces. So I, I think opening up domaining to a much wider audience is always kind of like a double-edged sword because it depends on the message that's being given out. That that kind of also, I'm excited about Clubhouse, like I'll start to use the app over the next week and listen in and play with it. But it worries me that actually who's delivering the message or who's kind of representing the domain in, name industry. Bingo. Depends on, um, you know, that whether the outcome is positive or negative in the near term. But it also comes back to the piece that I kind of published today because it's very easy for that message to be distorted or it's very easy for that message to be delivered with a lot of gloss. And what I wanted to put out today was that really kind of like unglossed version, which is like shows, you know, nuts, bolts, warts, everything just to say, look, here's the good, here's the bad. Domaining investing is messy, it's difficult, it's stressful, it's, it's one thing it's not, is easy, right? Right. And I think as soon as that message goes out that, oh, Domaining investing is a get-rich-quick scheme or it's an easy way to make a lot of money. I think that's a recipe for disaster. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, keen, I'm, I'm keen to explore the app and learn and jump in and out of a few different kind of rooms and conversations. You know, it's, it's all fun and games until somebody loses their shirt. So, yeah, man, well, with that, Nicole, I mean, we're out of time. So, hey, man, I thank you so much for, one, Doing the industry, uh, I mean, a favor, honestly, with your annual review, look in and being as transparent as you are with what's not only being sold, but also with your your fees and uh, everything. And so thank you for for taking time because I look through the, the post and I'm like, yeah, that's that's at least a week's worth, if not more uh, worth of time and investment to put together something like that. Oh yeah, thanks, thanks, Alvin. Um, yeah, and uh, I think I've said it in the past, but that that time investment also actually helps me a lot too. So I kind of <laughs> I've I've always said the easiest person to lie to is yourself, right? Man. And um, this 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 one activity each year keeps me in check because even I was surprised along the way. I see things where I like I did not expect that or I did not understand that. So. Oh, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate what you're saying. But I, I also have uh, selfish motivations there because I, I just want to learn too. And I want to know that uh, and what I, is what in my head, does it match what the data actually says? So right. um, as an activity, it's really kind of helps me seek clarity 
but then sharing it is also like makes me really happy that kind of I can learn but others can benefit at the same time too totally totally and and I go man that's something that we all should be doing even if we decide not to share it publicly that's something that you should be doing along the way as a domain investor to to keep checks and balances on what it is that you're buying what it is that you're selling and how well it is that you're exactly doing yeah yeah no I agree I think um definitely even if you don't share it but if you have visibility of it yourself it basically is a really easy way to learn about what's working what's not working but also i think as you're writing um you start to kind of like clarify your own thoughts you start to realize okay that things you thought were one particular way are not then once you've kind of seen it within the data there's no way to trick yourself again that that's what's of interest to me that actually um it's just a, a point of reflection in the uh, that is great. And so with that, like I said, uh, thank you. And thank you listeners for tuning in to Kickstart Commerce, where we share search marketing and domain name strategies to help grow your business. Please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. Last but not least, please visit kickstartcommerce.com to subscribe to the newsletter sharing tips and tricks about the disciplines of digital strategy. Thanks. And that's all for now. 